take your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start off with a verse here in a second, but I, I just want to set the stage. And last week I poured my heart into this, this concept of breakthrough and spiritual fire and, and this power and talking about what, what we're up against and the fact of how often we feel so defeated and, and why is that and we know what the Bible says in trying to figure out what God did in the book of Acts. And, and I started thinking about just the culture that we live in. And you say, describe that wall. Describe what's going on. Describe the pushback and the opposition and things. And I, I'm not trying to be a downer. Because sometimes when I start talking about what's going on and stuff, we sit there and say, you know, well, I didn't come to church to hear all this negative. I wouldn't be encouraged. But I'll tell you, if we don't take the reality of what we're facing, then we really don't know what we're fighting. You know what I'm saying? We can't stand up and push back. And uh, I, I was thinking about being today being Super Bowl Sunday, and a lot of people get excited about that. But I'll tell you, so does Satan get excited about that. Do you guys know that today is one of the highest ranked days for sex trafficking out of the entire year? Because of the traffic that it brings in for the Super Bowl, and in addition to them watching the game and everything they have, their side entertainment of children and women and teenagers that are caught in bondage of this. You can Google it and find out about the statistics of how bad this is. It's just reality of what today is. You say, what is that? I'll tell you what it is. It's wicked. It is, it is bondage. It is slavery. It is, it is ungodly. It's horrible. It's disgusting. And Satan is running with it like crazy. I, I started thinking just this week, and I'm not just trying to pull things up and says, let me just mention things. I was, my sister was, uh, texted me, and she was on the, the website of a, a local store, and she was looking at Barbies and things for her kids, and she said this, this ad came up for now that it's just brand new, and they're pushing this of this general neutral uh, doll that you can now take it and choose or mix the genders of it by swapping things out of, of, of this doll. Not necessarily a Barbie, but a doll. Say, what's the big deal? It's, it's targeted through age six. Age six. I was watching this article on Sesame Street and this song, I don't know if it's been out or whatever, and it's this Sesame Street video I, I grew up in Sesame Street. I mean, it's a big part of our culture. And they sing this song about how a boy can play with dolls or dress up and have tea. And they have Grover come out in a dress and he's dancing around. And you say, what is, what is the deal? Well, that's, that's targeted towards toddlers. Indoctrination. Confusion. And you might be here saying, I don't... I don't agree with what you're saying and all this others, and I, and I understand, especially, I mean, that, that, that there is a lot of confusion, and Satan brings confusion. And so when the world sits there and says, church people are so closed-minded and, and narrow-minded and all this other stuff, it's, it's a matter of the, the further we get away from the Word of God, the more confusion there is in the world. And our job's not to get angry and start wars with these people, because the Bible says very clear we don't wrestle, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So I, I, I could take you to the owners of Mattel, and I could take you to the ones that run these channels and these shows and everything, and you sit there and get so mad at them, and the Bible's very clear, we're not fighting them. And so often, that's what we do. 
We're, we're going after it. And I'm not saying don't speak out and speak up. And I'm not saying don't stand for the truth. But against principalities, against powers. I, I wish you would, in your Bible, maybe even underline circle that we are fighting against powers. Powers against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that's not my passage, and it's, I, I'm not going into all the details of this. I, I just want you to know that when we're talking about whatever that wall is, and talking about revival and the church being pushed back, and all these things with the agendas that they have, behind that, there is a great power. You say, how dare you brag on Satan like that? Let me be just blatantly honest with you. The reason that we lose so often because there is a greater power than us pushing us back. You say, well, not us, Pastor Tony. I mean, we're Christians. I, I know that. But it's not me, Tony, that has the power to push back against confusion, against the spiritual wars, and all these other things that we're facing. It's deeper and greater than all that. Now, I'm, I'm going to bring you in because we, 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 we actually stopped the message last week. I want to finish that and talk about th- this desire for spiritual fire. And, and I'll explain more why it's even called that and get into some of those aspects today. But I told you at the beginning, before there can be revival or move of God or touch of God, I said that this sounds crazy, but it's more than just praying. And I know we say that. Revival begins with prayer. And I'll be honest, the prayer brings the power and prayer is everything. But the problem is one step before that. And that's a desire in my heart to even step into the throne room of grace and the power of God to even ask. It's apathy. I'm stepping back into apathy. It's like, man, if you will seek my face and we're like, Walking through life, just distracted with everything. There's no desire. Man, and God says there, there's got to be desire. We talked about how there has to be desire in, in Acts 1.14. And they all continued in one accord. And we looked at what God did through Acts. And we're like, wow. It says, back up, back up, back up. Watch, watch where it came from. Watch how it started. Watch how the match got struck. And all these continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. There's got to be a true pursuit. The word continued actually is a vital part of that. There was, an, there was a seeking. It, was, it means that they didn't stop. They didn't back off. They didn't stop. They continued. Literally day in and day out for 10 days. Desires of pursuit. Desires in action. And we started talking about fasting and praying. And what that means. And how that was applied to this. And what Jesus said would happen. And this tool that God has given us. But let's go to where we, we stopped and says it's not just a spiritual fire, there must be a desire, but spiritual fire to start, there must be humility. See, it says, and these continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. It's, it's one of those words that I think we read a passage like this and we just stop at praying and, and, and the continuance of the desire that they have and we skip supplication. Now, I'll be honest, if we had to go around the room today and say, Somebody stand up and explain supplication, we'd probably be like, ah, I don't know if I can do that. And I'll be honest, probably before I did this study, I would have stammered through explaining what it was talking about, what they did. Best way to explain it, I, I, I want to do a flashback to David that gives us a, 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 a view of supplication in Psalms 143 verse 1. You don't have to turn there, just let me allude to this. 
hear my prayer. We know that's, that's how the, the disciples were doing. Oh, Lord, and give ear to my supplication. He brought it beyond just praying, and he introduced this concept of supplication. In thy faithfulness, answer me, and in thy righteousness. See, supplication brought it deeper than just their prayer. In verse 7, if you skip down from there, he explains it. He said, hear me speedily. It is an act of desperation. If you were drowning or if you were in trouble or if you were facing something that was overwhelming and you said, I can't do this, you'd be running saying, God, I need you now, 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 now. And that's what he said, Lord, I need you speedily to do this. Lord, I'm, I'm desperate, God. Man, how our nation would change if we would just wake up to see how bad things are. To understand how that force is pushing against us. O Lord, my spirit faileth. I'm failing. Lord, my, my, and we're, I'm, I'm done. I'm checking out, God. Man, if you say, I don't, I, don't talk, I don't talk like that. No, we don't talk like that because you know what? I've got this. You know, that, that's our attitude. I got this. Man, I've got this. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like them, unto them that go down into the pit. Cause me to hear thy righteousness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. I'm failing. I need you now. See, a supplication is a prayer of brokenness. It is a cry. It is a plea. And I think sometimes when we miss out because the Bible cares all the time about God stepping into our lives when there is humility. And I'm saying when we realize what we're up against and we step back and we just throw our hands up and we're honest before God to say, I can't do this. I can't do it. Kind of burden for whatever it is and you fill in the blank in your life and you acknowledge before God, I can't do it. Humble yourself, therefore, in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. As America, churches of America, gotten to the place where we acknowledge before God that we don't got this, and I can't do it. To acknowledge that, God, if you don't step in, and I'll tell you, your prayer changes when you have this mindset. Your, chair, your prayer changes when it's there. If the avenue or steps to having a breakthrough in our lives is seeking God and praying and fasting, then why don't we do it? Because maybe we don't see the need to have it. I mentioned Revelation last week because he said, you are increased with goods and have need of nothing because we're not going through a depression. And in our minds, even when the media will come out and say, America's going through a depression, we don't know depression we have so much. We're okay. In Psalm 35, verse 13, David was also talking. And he says, but it's for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting. And again, I, I tie it right back into that missing element of the church. And you just say, how do, how do I, I, I know I have this issue and I know we're in problems, but, but pastor, I, I, I struggled trying to make myself do this. And God said, I'll give you a tool. And I mentioned Wednesday night. It's kind of like having a treadmill. 
It's a matter of God says, Here, here's a tool of a treadmill that if you get on and you say, man, I need to lose weight, the only thing is you have to apply yourself to the tool that has been given to you. But standing back saying, man, I really need to do something. I need to get on there. I need to take care of that. Replace treadmill with the fasting. And God said to America and to Christians, I know you struggle with your flesh. But let me give you a tool that's going to help you crucify your, uh, your flesh to help humble yourself before God. You want to know what it's like to be weak and tired and all of a sudden you're having withdrawals from sugars and everything and all of a sudden you're like, God, I can't do this. Try fasting and watch how fast it is before halfway through your day. By lunchtime, you're saying, God, I don't, why did I say I'm doing this? God, I can't do this. Because my God is my belly. When it cries, I answer. I, I mean, that's just how we are. Like, don't, don't be looking at me like that. You guys know we're all that same way. We have issues. There's got to be this attitude of humility if there's ever going to be fire. There's got to be this desire if there's ever going to be fire. But also, there's got to be a deep belief. God promised in Acts 1.8, before we ever get to it, you look back at why they're in prayer and supplication and continuing and, and, and fasting and everything that we read of. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Do you guys understand that this was a promise, a promise, a promise from God? A promise. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, the first word is what? Okay, let's try that again. The first word is what? If. That is so crucial. It's like if. It literally means I'm not going to hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land, which literally means that you're not going to walk through life healed or on your feet or being able to persevere if you don't do this. It's an if. You're not going to lose weight if you don't get on the treadmill. Things are not going to change if you don't apply fasting and prayer. If you want it. It's a choice. Jesus, God gave us in the word. He said, call unto me and I will answer thee. And I'll show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He says, you, you sit there and we sit there and say, man, problems are bad. And this is so bad. And there's no way. There's no way. I just you know, I don't know. He says that. But I'll tell you in all my reasoning, I don't know how in the world this would ever change. And God says, I'll show you things that you can't even comprehend how it could happen. I'll work in ways that doesn't even make sense. You say, I've done the math and it will never happen. God says, I invented math. Quit trying to tell me what I can do. And that's what we do. God says, if I will. Do you know what I will when God says I will do something? That is a promise from God. Church, wake up. And God said, I promise you things. Uh, let me say that I'm, I'm not trying to get away from it. I'm just trying to prove what is going on. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. People might let you down. Your spouse might let you down. But I promise you this. Your God will never, ever let you down. Never. So let's just make application to this. Let's say right now. I was coming here and say, I hid $1,000 in this room. I hit $1,000 in this room, and right now, whoever finds it can have it. Now, if I said that right now, the only way you're going to get out of your spot is if you believed me. He was in there going, he didn't hide. And I'll be honest, I did this illustration another time in another way, and I said 100 bucks. 
When I was done with my message, I went over and picked it up that I hid in the room, and I actually did it. And they all lost out because they didn't believe me. And I think what God has promised us in, in Scripture, he says, I, I will show thee, I will give thee, I will promise thee. The disciples were earnestly seeking the face of God. And that word seek is in there over and over again. Seek, seek, seek. Knock. Ask. All these things that he said for us to do. But why don't we? I think when it comes down to the, the, the basis of it, we just have to admit, I don't truly Believe it. Because there's no way that I could tell you right now that there was $1,000 and if you needed it and you believe me, you, you would be tearing the church up right now. But the thing with God is God never lies. And he's made us so many promises. And I say this to the church when he cries out to the church to awake, to awake, to awake, to awake. He's telling you, I have something for you if you would just seek So all of this is true. And I'm thinking, what were they seeking? This is where I'm going to transition to where I planned on starting today. But look with me in Acts 1.8. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He said, I'm going to, I'm the witness or the representation that I'm going to have into the world to bring the power. How crazy is this? Is us. God said, I'm going to deliver power. And I'm going to, you, know, you, you talk about the industry and the confusion and the children and the toddlers and the sex trafficking and the addictions and all this. And we stand there and say, how is it going to be, how is it going to be dealt with? And God said, watch this. I'm going to send you to be witnesses, to bear witness, to be the carriers of the power of God, to bring into those situations to break down walls and change lives. That's what God said that he was going to do. And sometimes we don't look at this that way. To carry hope, to break through, it sounds great. But we're facing crazy opposition. What I was talking about, the spiritual wickedness and all the things that he was talking about, cold hearts, blinded eyes, confusion, rebellion, What did he promise? To be honest, this was just going to be my first point today. And I have to use the whole rest of the time to talk about this one word. Because it's in here. But ye shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He said, I'm going to give you the power that you need to overcome the resistance that you have. I'm going to give the power that you need to bring down the principalities and rulers of darkness and high places and all the things that he said we're going against. Now let's just explain this. Number one, the power of the Spirit of God. Can we just talk about the power of the Spirit of God? Because I think sometimes we just throw out these terms and we don't stop to break them down. Ye shall receive power. See, the Spirit of God is the divine presence of God with us. He said, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, I'd love to break this down and explain this more. But it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's three parts to the Trinity. There are three parts to God. And if you want me to allow you to explain that in such a way that you can wrap your minds around, it's never going to happen. God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit, and God is the Father, but they are not each other. You say, 
yeah, and, and, and you sit there and say, I know how this works. When I was a kid, my Sunday school teacher took an egg and said, is the outer shell, the inner part, the, the white, and then the yolk. I know how it is, but let me tell you the problem with that. None of the egg is spiritual. So all of a sudden, we're trying to take something tangible and explain something spiritual. And it does explain how three parts are one, but it doesn't explain how we can wrap our minds around the amazingness of God's trinity. Now, there's no way that I could possibly get into this, but let me explain this. The, word around, the world that he's talking about and the world that we even live in gets extremely weirded out by what I'm about to talk to. Do you know why? Because we're talking about the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. Let's just be honest for a minute. How weird is that? Say, that's not weird, Pastor. That's the name of parts of the Trinity. That is true. But we're talking about ghosts and spirits, okay? Can we just be real for a minute? We're talking about ghosts. And, and I know that a lot of us grew up in church, and we've talked about that so many times. But somebody new comes in and says, let's talk about the ghost that's with us today. You're like, I'm out of here. I don't know what you're doing. I've seen Scooby-Doo. I'm telling you, I don't need to be here. Because I know what a ghost is. And I'm not making up words trying to explain something. It's right here in the Bible. And on the other side of it is a spirit. An unseen presence of something around us. The spirit of God is not new to the New Testament. You see, the spirit of God that he was talking about in Acts 1.8 started in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the, dirt, uh, of the deep. How did God change the darkness, and how did God form everything that he was doing? How did God do that? And we always say, well, God spoke it. God did speak it, but watch the action behind it. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Have you ever looked at it like that? God is speaking with the authority and power, and the Spirit of God, that part of God, is going... And it begins to work and move and shake and mold and give life to grass and life to cows and life to bats. Say, why bats? I don't know. (laughs) The Spirit of God was there and it was doing and it was working and it was alive. You say, why do we have this? It's, It's a description. The Hebrew word for spirit is the word ruach. It's a Hebrew word that means wind by resemblance of breath. You say, I, that, that's, that's weird because I wasn't thinking it would be the almighty presence of God. That would be a cool definition as well. But I also think that God knows us in our humanity and that we struggle with stuff like this. We do. So God, in everything, and I mentioned this before about the cross and communion and the things that we do, that God gives us things to say, I know I made you and your brains are really small, so I'm just going to put things on your level to where you can get it. God says, let me explain my spirit. It's a wind. It's a resemblance of breath. It's talking about life as part of the Hebrew definition. It's an air or a blast of air. It's a description given to us to understand that the spirit of God came out and it worked. Describing the wind. Describing the breath of God. Describing a powerful energy. You can't see the wind, but you know it's there. You can't see the wind, but you feel its power. You can witness the effects of the wind. The Spirit of God was part of creation, bringing light to the darkness. 
It's what the Spirit of God did. It illuminated the darkest place. The earth was out form or void, and the Spirit of God came and brought powers within it that changed everything. The Spirit is talking about breath of life. We see that as God breathed into man, the breath of life of man became a living soul. It's the personal presence of the Almighty God that you cannot see that is working around us. It's in the Bible. Literally, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke. They spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It is a power. It is a force. Literally saying, how do you know that the word of God is real and there's not errors in it? How do we, can we trust it? Because it wasn't man, it was God. And God swept in and God did what man could not do. And he made something holy that I could not make holy because God is a holy, righteous God that was working in a way that we could not work. And then now you know why Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is quick and powerful. It literally means it has power and it is alive. You know why it's, why it's alive? Because it was inspired. Inspired literally means God breathed. The spirit of God was at work. The spirit of God is his divine power with us. It's not just his divine presence. It's his divine power with us. I did a word study because just like the word love, when we did that study on, on, on love and, and driven by love, we, we had to break down the words because there's so many Greek words for love and all of a sudden we say power and we're thinking, oh, I just read power. Ephesians 6.12. We fight against powers. Eh, wait. It's not the same power. Thank God. Power is dunamis power. Let me point out some words. It means force. It means miraculous power. It means miracle. It means it has ability. It has strength. It, it does a wonderful work. Let me just break this down. When I'm talking about a divine force that we're talking about, it literally means the power that God was saying that the Spirit of God would bring, and we see in Acts chapter 1, was a force. Now we're talking about the force that Satan has done, and that's actually what principalities and powers and rulers of darkness mean. Look up the Greek. It actually means, in the definition breakdown, it means a force. Say, how could they get into our movies? How could they get to our kids? How can they do this? Because there is a force pushing there that is insanely powerful. And Christians are doing this. We just are. It's like, oh, it's bad, it's bad. Did you see on TV? Oh, pastor, it's so bad. God said, can I tell you that I'm giving you a, a divine force? You know what that means? It's the ability to push back. That, that is what God promised. Do you remember? God made a promise that I give you a divine force that has the ability to push back. You can't see the wind. The wind is a force of something that causes an effect. It pushes, it restricts, it holds, it moves. If any of you guys have ever been in a hurricane or whatever, and you sit there and say, do you see what's going on out there? No, I don't. But I tell you, the wind is doing something amazing. Can you see the wind? No, I can't see the wind. But I can feel it and experience what it's doing. God said that you don't understand what I'm trying to do through the church and people. He has a plan to do something amazing that we cannot wrap our minds around. It doesn't matter how much they fight. It doesn't matter how many tools they have. It doesn't matter if they bring all the demons of hell. It doesn't matter about their addiction and heroin and depression and confusion. It doesn't matter because I have something greater than all of that. 
And if the church would understand, and if we would wake up, and if we would grab a hold, and if we were burdened, all of a sudden, everything Satan's doing, there's a push that comes back the other way, and it drives Satan to back up and retreat. He said, how do you know that you understand that every time Jesus showed up and he spoke the name of Jesus Christ, they bowed on their knees and worshiped God because they had to. We sing the song about the great I am. Who can stand in the presence of the great I am? When they came up to Jesus to arrest him in the garden and they say, who are you looking for, Jesus? I am he. And they fell to the ground. It was a moment in time that God said, you don't mess with me unless I allow it. And he surrendered himself. They didn't take his life. He gave his life. We sit there and say, well, it's just no chance and we can't do and things are so bad. And God says, do you not understand what I promised you? It's not only this power that he's talking about, but the power that he said also is more than just a force. It's a miraculous power to do and perform what we cannot normally do. The, the Spirit of God is miraculous power to do what we normally cannot do. Oh, wow. Romans eight eleven. Just brace. He's just say, little old me, Pastor, I, I can't do anything. If you just knew who I was, wait for two weeks from now. We'll answer that question. <clears throat> but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your filthy, low-down, dirty, despicable, messed-up bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. I don't think we fully get that. I don't think we fully get that. Let me demonstrate that he's talking about the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. He realized when Jesus died on the cross, it represented my sin. Surely he had borne my griefs and carried my sorrows. And I don't think we fully understand. It's just like that is that's a picture that beyond I can understand that Jesus was that. <clears throat> if this makes you grossed out, I still want you to look at it. This is not actually Jesus on the cross. This was a movie and they took a snapshot of it. But I truly believe that this is one of the movies that did one of the best jobs portraying what actually happened. He was mutilated. Mutilated. The cat of nine tails tore into Jesus in such a way that literally most of the time they had to stop before their guts spilled out. And you're sitting there saying, stop. No, you need to know. Because the wages of sin is death. That is a visual, another visual. It's a visual. Because God says, let me tell you what I know sin does. Truly a born our sin, he became sin for us. That right there is sin. Just, just label it like this. You say, man, I've, I've got a past. I've done drugs. I've got needle marks. I've got internal damage. I've got brain issues. I've got problems with this. I've been through depression. I've, man, Pastor Tony, if you knew about my record, if you knew how I've been divorced, if you knew my past, if you knew that I used to molest children, you say, oh, don't go there. Just just get as nasty as you can possibly think in your mind. It's despicable and disgusting and horrible. And you're sitting there saying, hey, don't, don't talk. 
Because when you mention certain sin, it reminds me who I was and what I've done. Don't bring it up. Jesus said, look, I know what sin does. I know what it's done to your heart and your mind and your soul and your past. I know what that divorce has done to you. I know what that affair did to you. I know what those drugs have done to you. I know what you're lying and stealing and shame and all that stuff done to you. And Jesus said, you understand. I took it. And we look at the cross and we're visualizing sin of, of what it does to us physically, not emotionally and spiritually, but God took it and kind of painted a picture visually of it, of what it looked like physically in our lives. You go back to that verse and what God was saying, but if the Spirit of God raised up Jesus from the dead, it killed, it destroyed, it sucked the life out of him, it took everything to the point where there was no coming back. Death swept in, it took his life, and all of that pulled a, pulled a, a toll on the body of Jesus Christ till eventually he said it's finished. But here's the good news. It wasn't finished. The work of God was finished, and the death and the burial and resurrection and all those things that covered it, but Jesus himself and his life was not finished. They didn't understand. They just thought, well, he's gone. But he came out of the grave to say, hey, listen, I don't care what's in your life that has messed you up, tore you up, pulled you apart, divorce, drugs, alcohol, your past, your lying, your deceit. Let me tell you about what God does. God makes dead things live. God takes that which is lifeless and that which sin is sucked out and that which is falling apart. And God says, I make it whole. I bring healing. I bring life. Now think of what God wants to do through us. He said, that same spirit now lives inside of you. He said, that spirit that is God-breathed and the anointing of God and the power of God to be able to do, we're not just asking for God to bring a spirit upon us that we can feel good and raise our hands. And I'm talking about the spirit of God that wants to reach in the lives of people that have been destroyed. And they're sitting there saying, I'm so tore up and messed up by sin and problems and all this other stuff. There's no chance for me. And God says, wait till my spirit gets a hold of you. And you say, what are we talking about? Actually, we're really talking about revival right now. I'm talking about when the spirit of God begins to take over and work and move and what God wants to do in America, that you're saying they're so far gone and they're so messed up. And God says, are they so far gone that they're dead? He says sin has pulled the life out of them. There's no chance of them doing anything. He say, well, yeah, pretty much. And God says, all right, let me have a chance at it. Because that spirit of God that literally took Jesus and did all that and did all that with what we're talking about, the very breakdown of the verses, God's saying, when I leash my power upon my church and my people, wait and see what God does. I'll give you one last point and we're done. It says in that thing, it talks about a force. It talks about miraculous power. It talks about the mighty works, the mighty wonderful works. It literally describes it as the grand close of the definition. When we see the Spirit of God is working, it convicts hearts, it brings wisdom, it opens eyes, it gives answers, it comforts, it does all these things. When the Spirit of God is present, it's working. You understand it's, it's doing something. You're saying, I, I, I have no ability to change things or make things happen. Now unto him. In Ephesians, the same passage that we were talking about before. 
no one to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Do you hear that? No one to him that will do it. He's able. Sit there and say, oh, I can't. Stop unto him that is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all. He, he took it with this, not an exaggeration, because we exaggerate. And exaggeration is just a fancy lie. God doesn't lie. He makes promises. And God said, yeah, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If my people would just seek my face, deny themselves, and ask for it, I, I will do far beyond what you think. And I don't care who's president and who's pushing what in the Senate. I don't care what toy company's pushing out whatever. I don't care what Sesame Street does. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. God says, I will do far beyond what your brain could even comprehend or think about. According to the power of him that works in me. So when he said, you shall receive power and I'm going to send you in there. God didn't send us in there to fail. God didn't send us in there to retreat. God didn't send us in there to fall back or retreat. We're in this to win it. And I'm not trying to build ourselves up, but I'm telling you, there's a world that is being overcome with this tsunami of sin. And we hold the one that has the power to control the wind and the rain to push back whatever's coming back at us. But the whole key to all of this is the fact that God has chosen to work through this blows my mind. Now, once again, I got more points and I'm not giving them to you yet because we're going to come back and do this. And in this, he starts talking about this. And I'll tell you in Acts 1.8, oh man, you shall receive power. And then we get into a passage that I don't understand. All right? It's just like, just like, wow. And that's Acts chapter 2, verse 1, 2. And three. And God showed up. And God painted a picture of everything that we've talked about right there. And, and I know we're not asking for a repeat of Acts chapter 2 of the day of Pentecost and everything that he did. Because I've already got the spirit of God. I'm not waiting for it to show up. But what God did in that moment is he began to do a work through the disciples. That by the end of the day, 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ. You have not. Because you ask not. It's not a matter of God not offering. It's just a matter of us not wanting it. So we step back with desire. We admit in our supplication that I need you, God. I'm broken. I'm empty. I come before you. I want this. And I seek it. I have to believe it. I will never kneel at an altar. I will never fast and pray. I will never raise my hands up seeking God, if I don't truly believe it with all my heart. And let me tell you, by the way, our kids will never believe jack anything that we talk about when we have a mighty God that does exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, and they never seen it once. We turn God into a theory, a story, a myth. I have, I have to stop. Because <laughs> God does something through this power, through this fire, 
that is amazing. And it started all the way back in the Old Testament, began to sweep all the way through. And then it was not just God doing it, but he began to put it on his people to be able to accomplish these things that we could not do in of ourselves.